0: My goodness, so good this morning and man we're glad that you're here today and uh, if you're new with us, welcome. So great to have you here at Harvest uh, this morning. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here and we are glad that you are here today and uh, we got, uh, man I'm excited about where we're going to be today in God's Word. If you weren't here last week we kicked off just a little Uh, short series, but at the same time a series that we always need to be reminded of entitled this, ROI. And if you have any sort of just a little bit of business acumen, and that's what I would describe myself as, you would know that that those three letters mean something, and they mean this, return on investment. We all want that in our lives, do we not? We all want to see a return on our investments, whatever they may be. Some of you are like, I have no investments. Well, we're obviously not talking in this series about necessarily like what you have in your stock options or whatever those may be. What we're talking about is really our lives and how we're using our lives and how the Lord wants us to experience a return on our investment and how we know that one day we will all stand before the Lord and we will give an account for what he has entrusted to us. And we mentioned this last week, that whenever we talk about something like this, return on investment, whatever you want to entitle a stewardship series, that oftentimes our mind goes immediately to money. And we talked about how I want, to, I want you to guard yourself against that. That this, it's more than about what you are doing with your money, though for sure that is part of what God has entrusted to you for you to use for his honor and his glory. But it's more than that. Last week we looked at time. Today we're gonna look at your talents and we're gonna define what we mean by talents. But I mentioned this passage of scripture last week and I wanna mention again because it's really the thrust of really what we're going after in this series about just us embracing the reality that one day I'm gonna give an account for what the Lord has entrusted to me in the life that he has given me. And so turn in your Bibles as we did last week to 1 Corinthians 3, though this is not the passage that we're going to unpack today. I still want us to look at it, to be reminded of it. Some of you maybe for the first time will see these verses, and so I want us just to look at these to really set up where we're going to be this morning, really what we looked at last week and what we'll look at again next week. Paul says this, Paul's the writer of 1 Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. and He says this in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember we said that. Jesus Christ is our foundation as a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the rock upon which we build our lives upon. And then it says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. So in other words, there's going to come a day where we're going to give an account for how, as I mentioned, we use the things that God has given us. And they will either be represented as gold, silver, and precious stones, or they will be wood, hay, and straw. And look at what it says, because it will be revealed by fire. I'm still in verse 13. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, He will receive a reward, and if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So in other words, this isn't about me losing my salvation if I squander what the Lord has entrusted to me. It's simply a warning and encouragement that we're going to give an account for what the Lord has entrusted to us. And so God wants our lives to really be, be viewed as, in our minds, as investment opportunities him, for his glory, according to his will. So turning your Bibles to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30 today. And whenever we're jumping into a passage of Scripture, as we're doing in this series, this is a little bit different. We're going to different passages of Scripture throughout this series. It's important to give you a little bit of context on where we are at as we jump into a passage of Scripture And so in Matthew 25, Jesus is giving parables. And simply a definition of a parable is a story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is really giving an illustration to drive home a heavenly point, a kingdom point. And in Matthew 25, really all of Matthew 25, what he's instructing his listeners is that we need to watch and we need to be ready because we all have an expiration date in our life. And if by God's grace we are fortunate enough that Jesus Christ comes back before our life is over, then we also need to watch and be ready because either way, if my life ends before Jesus comes back or my life doesn't end before Jesus comes back, the reality is is I'm going to give an account for my life. And so I need to be watched. I need to watch. I need to be ready. I need to make sure that I'm working for the Lord with what he has entrusted to me. Here at Harvest, we define a disciple this way. A disciple is one who worships Christ. That I understand that I worship one person, not myself, not my things, not whatever has been entrusted to me, but I worship Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And because I worship Jesus in him alone, then, then I also am called to walk with the Lord in my relationship with him. And then the third thing that we use to describe a disciple of Jesus Christ here at Harvest, is not just one who worships Christ and walks with Christ, but one who works for Christ, that says I'm on mission from God. That everything that I have, that everything that I am is for his glory, his purposes, to invest in People and opportunities for the glory of God. And so this passage of Scripture in particular is going to go after that work piece. So hopefully you are in your Bibles this morning. And we're looking at verses 14 through 30. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to read through this entire passage of Scripture. And then we're going to unpack these verses. So hopefully you're in verse 14. If you're there, say you're there. All right, look at verse 14. It says, For it will be like, well, what will it be like? What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. When we'll give an account, we stand before the Lord, not whether or not we'll enter heaven. That's because of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. But it will be like, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And to the one he gave five talents, and to the other two, or I'm sorry, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, "'Master, you've delivered to me five talents here, and I've made five talents more.'" And his master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master.'" And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. See, you had no idea bankers are in the Bible. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given and he who will have and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the title of the message this morning. Who and how rather than how much. See, here's the idea that I want you to get today so you'll understand that title. You're like, what does that mean? Um, here's the idea I want you to get today. Who I believe has given me the talents, my talents, your talents, who I believe has given me talents will directly affect how I steward those talents. Who I believe has given me them will affect how I steward them. And you see that in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to unpack this idea. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three principles from this passage of Scripture that will shape your belief in the giver of the talents so that you'll be faithful in the stewarding of those talents. So would you pray with me as I pray aloud before we get into God's word and we unpack it this morning that here's what I want you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray because every one of us have talents. Is to say, Lord, how am I using what you've given to me to invest in the people and the opportunities that you want me to see? God, we're here for you. Or we're not here for any other person we're not here to hear from me, for sure. We're here today to hear from you. And Lord, every one of us has been given the awesome privilege to be entrusted with things that are not our own, but are from you. To invest for you. And so, Lord, would you allow us to have eyes to see? Would you allow us to see the things that you desire us to see in your Word? We say this every week here that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So, Lord, we don't pray for you to speak. We pray for us to have eyes to see where we need to obey. And so, Lord, would you guide us as we unpack this passage of Scripture? And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Here's the first principle. And it comes from verse 14, and I'm not going to read it again, but I want you to glance at verse 14, and we're going to mention some words in verse 14 from where this principle comes from. But here's the first principle that will shape my belief in the giver of the talents, so I'll be faithful in the stewardship of those talents. Number one, Jesus is the owner and the giver of the talents that you have in your possession. We need to remind ourselves of that today. Maybe some of us need to realize that today, that Jesus is the owner and the giver of the talents that you have in your possession. And so if we're gonna understand that, I don't want you to take my word for it. If we're gonna understand that, if we're gonna believe that, if we're gonna embrace that, if we're gonna live in that, then we need to look at some of these words in verse 14 that stress that reality. Here's the first word. Do you see it there? He starts off in verse 14 saying, it will be like a man. Going on a journey. And then he says, who calls his servants and entrusts to them his property. And then you find in this passage of scripture, this word master. It's nine times in this passage of scripture. The word can literally be translated, this word master, as Lord. So here's what that means. Do you know who the man is? Do you know who the master is? Can you connect the dots? If if you know, just say it out loud. Who's the master? It's Jesus. Very good. Jesus is the master in this passage of Scripture. So we've answered that first question so that we can say, okay, I'm starting to Track with you that Jesus is the owner and the giver of the talents that are in my possession because master is referring to Jesus because master can be translated as Lord. But here's another interesting word. It's the word servants. See, I believe Jesus uses this word for a purpose. Because when you see the word servants, it's immediately a heart check for you. And it's a heart check for me. See, I don't know about you, but probably the first thing that you want to be called is not a servant, right? Probably not. Probably not the first thing. You're you're not really like, I mean, I'm not walking up to you after the service and saying, how are you doing, Servant Joe? You're like, didn't really like that. But I love how Jesus intentional with every word every word of the bible we say this here is intentional because when jesus mentions servants what he's doing is he's getting at your heart when you read this because notice who's the master not you not me jesus so if jesus is the master then i can draw the conclusion that i'm the servant I mean, Paul doesn't have a problem with it. Paul refers to his letters often in Romans 1.1, just as an example. Paul says this. Paul starts off this book saying, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter starts off his epistle in 2 Peter saying this. Simon Peter, a bond servant of Jesus. Here's what is interesting. I cannot view myself as a servant of Jesus with a prideful heart. Try it. When you're acting prideful and when I'm acting prideful, I for sure am not viewing myself as a servant of Jesus. I'm viewing myself as a master, not a servant. But when I view myself as a servant of Jesus, here's what it causes me to do. It causes me to be reminded that I'm not the boss of my life. Just look to the person next to you and say, you're not the boss. You're not the boss of your life. I probably should have said for you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm not the boss. That would have been a lot better. You would have got a lot less joy out of that. <laughs> That'll happen at 11. 11. But when I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm looking at myself that way and say, wait a minute, there's a master and it's not me. You know what I am? I'm the servant. It reminds me I'm not the boss of my life. Here's what else it reminds me of. That I understand that what I have has been granted to me by someone else other than me. Because I'm a servant. Here's what else it reminds me that I'm gonna answer to someone else. Why? Because I'm a servant, and I'm not the master. See, the reason why the first principle, in order for me to have a proper belief in who the giver is so that I can steward the talents that he has given me, I first have to start off understanding Jesus is the giver and the owner of the talents that are in my possession. Why? Because the master is Jesus. The servant is me. But here's another interesting word. It's that word talent. It's mentioned all through this passage of Scripture. By the way, a talent, just so that you're aware, was about 20 years of wages. So oftentimes when we read this passage of scripture, we're like, man, the poor servant that got one talent, he really got gypped. No, he got 20 years of wages to invest for the master. So that would have equaled in our day hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just think, whatever you make, times that by 20 years. So even if you got one talent, that's a generous master, not a stingy master. But I think often, and I said this at the beginning of this series and I said it this morning, that oftentimes when we think of talent, our mind automatically goes to money. Oh, parable to talents, money. But here's what you need to understand about talents. Here's what a talent is. Anything where, whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Anything. Anything. That I can glorify God with is a Talent from my master to me his servant our gifts our influence our money yes our knowledge our health our strength our time our senses our reason our intellect our memory our affections all our talents James 1.17 says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't get caught up into thinking something wrong. What's wrong? Thinking that what I have is mine. No, no, no. Jesus is the owner and the giver of the talents that I possess. What does it say in verse 17? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What's the point? Verse 14. What's the point in understanding this first principle that Jesus is the giver and owner of the talents that are in my possession? Here's the point that what I have today and what I have tomorrow, what you have today and what you may have tomorrow, is not yours, it's not mine, it is on loan from my master. Why do I say that? Can you see what else it says there in verse 14? You probably need to underline this in your Bibles. What does it say? For it will be like a man going on a journey. The man is Jesus, the servants are us. But look at what it says. And he entrusted to them, say that next word, his. Not yours, not mine. He entrusted to them his property. He's the owner, he's the giver, and when I live in this understanding, it will shape how I use what I have been entrusted with. Number one, Jesus is the owner and the giver of the talents you have in your possession. The second principle is found in verses 15 through 23. Here's the second principle. Jesus has entrusted you with certain talents for a purpose, not comparison. You have what you've been entrusted with for a purpose. It's not for you to compare with other people what they have. Why? Because who I believe has given me the talents will directly affect how I steward those talents. It's about who and how, not how much. Notice that phrase in verse 15. Notice what it says. It says, According to his ability. Here's what that literally means. According to his, according to your capacity. Capacity. Here's what the Lord knows. The Lord knows your capacity and the Lord knows my capacity. And because the Lord knows your capacity today and my capacity today, not what your capacity could be 10 years from now. But what your capacity is today. And because he knows what your capacity is today, here's what the Lord does. Because why? He's the master. I'm the servant. He knows more about me than I know about myself. So here's what he does. He says, I am going to entrust you certain talents, certain abilities, certain opportunities to use those talents and abilities because I know your capacity. And the point of this parable is not how many talents the servants received from their master, but rather how each servant stewarded what he was given. It's not about one got five and one got two and one servant got one. It's not the point. It's how they stewarded what they were given. It's not the guy that had two is worrying about the guy that has five and the guy that has one is worrying about the guy that has two. It's not the point of the parable. But isn't that what we do? We so often want to focus on how much do I have rather than who gave it and how he wants me to use it. 1 Corinthians 12 is an awesome passage of Scripture. We have time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 12, you have this this illustration that Paul gives illustrating the Christian, like, people his church as a body and he talks about how the eyes not worried about being the hand and how all the body and all the diversity in the body functioning together not worrying about what they're not but literally carrying out their function is how the body of Christ is supposed to act is supposed to operate it's an amazing illustration should be surprised by that because it's from the Holy Spirit, but nevertheless, it's an amazing illustration of how we ought to function. Like my big toe right now is not envious of my eye. It's not. It's not spending all of its time today thinking, man, I wish I was the eye and not my ugly self. It's not thinking that today. Yours is definitely not. My finger is not jealous and saying, I'm just going to take the day off today because I'm not an elbow. It's not how your body operates, which just to go back to the big toe, the big toe is a very important member of your body, because if you don't have your big toe, guess what you can't do? You can't walk right. You can't run. You can't function correctly, even though it may be very ugly for you. You're like, don't don't talk about my big toe. I have very pretty feet. The majority of us do not. So my point being, is in this illustration that Paul gives in First Corinthians 12, he does it because he wants to drive home the point to the Corinthians that's quit getting caught up about what you are not. And relish in the reality that your master created you exactly the way that he wanted. And he gave you a purpose that's different from the, pur- from the purpose of the person next to you. It's not about how much. It's not about who you are not. It's about understanding who is the one who created you the way that he did. And how does he want you to use what he has given you for his honor and his glory and his eternal purposes. That's the point. And I need to understand that what Jesus has entrusted me with has a purpose. It's not about comparison. Notice what we see in these verbs in verses 16 and 17. Can you look at verses 16 and 17 with me? Look at these verbs of investment. It says, traded and made. Made. You see, those are verbs of forward thinking, action. Like I said, the guy that has two is not like consumed that he doesn't have three more, so he can be equal with the guy that has five. And the guy that has five is not saying, hey man, I got five and you only have two. I must be way better than you. No, 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 what are they concentrated on? How they're using them. It says they traded and they made, not they're comparing themselves with one another. Here's what you need to understand. This simple phrase, comparison kills purpose. Kills purpose. Some of you are here today and you're in junior high. Or you're in senior high. Others of us may have to take a time machine back about 25, 30 years, maybe even more. We're junior high and high school. Some of you're like, "I don't want to remember those days." Think about it. I remember in junior high, it was all about comparison, wasn't it? Well, that person's wearing those shoes and wearing those pants and doing their hair like this way, and and so therefore, I didn't even really think about wearing those pants and wearing that shirt and putting my hair that way, but everybody else is doing, and I for sure don't want someone to make fun of me, so I'm going to do exactly what everybody else is doing. Why? Because I'm constantly living in the reality. I'm comparing myself to everybody else. Some of you, man, you, you've had to go to therapy for those years. Because comparison kills purpose rather than embracing, wait a minute, what does the Lord want me to do? How do, has the, the Lord wired me? It's not, a, it's not about others. It's about what the Lord wants to do in me. How has he made me? Understanding the Lord didn't make a mistake. Creating my nose or creating my ears or giving me no or allowing my hair to fall out or whatever it is. Like the Lord has not made a mistake with me and He's not made a mistake with you, but comparison kills purpose. It takes you off of what the Lord wants you to focus on. And some of you are here today and you're like, man, how can God use me? I can't get up on this stage and talk. I can't pick up an instrument and play an instrument or play the drums or play the keyboard. I can't do these things that are up front. Well, aren't we glad that not every one of us are up front speaking because there'd be no one listening? Every one of us has been given certain talents from the Lord for a purpose. Not for comparison. But look at the danger of what happens when we're focused on comparison rather than purpose. Look at verse 18. Look at the verb that's used of the third servant. It's not this, Okay, I'm gonna concentrate on who gave it to me and how I'm supposed to use it like these first two servants. Man, we're gonna invest it. We're gonna trade. It's gonna have action. We're gonna look for ways that we can, we can make a return on our investment with the things that we're given. No, 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 look at verse 18. Look at the verbs that are used for the third servant. He dug and he hid. That's why I say comparison kills purpose because when I'm so focused on comparing myself with someone else, it drives me, it motivates me not to look at ways to invest what I've been given, but to dig it and to hide it. To be ashamed of it. I only got one. Let me tell you something. Churches do not advance for the kingdom of God without the people of the one talents. What was one talent? 20 years worth of wages. Not some insignificant thing. And when you are tempted to compare, and when you are tempted to believe that God can't use you, you can take it to the bank. Those thoughts are not from the Holy Spirit. They are from the enemy and his demons. Why? Because he knows that what God has given you will advance the kingdom of God. And so if I can cause you to think that God can't use you, then God's kingdom doesn't advance the way the master desires. But this third servant digs and he hides And he starts living, playing not to lose rather than how do I win for the Lord? See, how many of us are playing not to lose? How many of us are saying, man, I'm not going to take a risk for the Lord. I took a risk last time. I'm not taking a risk. I'm afraid, like like Johnny, I want to use the talents that God has given me, but I'm afraid of making a mistake. I'm afraid that I'm going to miss what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm going to go here when he really wants me to go here. And what did we say last week? The word of God is the will of God. And when I have a heart posture to do what the Lord wants me to do, I'm never going to miss God's will. Matthew 16, 25 says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, that if I'm trying to live my life for myself and how do I take what I have and I'm playing not to lose, here's what happens I lose. When I say, Lord, I'm going to hold what I love with open hands and I'm going to be thankful for the person that gave it to me. Lord, you're, you've given me exactly what I need. You know my capacity at this point, And God, I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to use it for you. I'll never lose. God will always yield a return on a sincere, surrendered heart. Always. When my heart is sincere and surrendered to the Lord, I will always reap a return. Because I'm concentrating on the purpose, not comparison. And do you notice here the rewards that the first two servants receive? I just want to make mention of these because they're, they're so good for us to remind ourselves. What's my motivation? Focus on my purpose. Lord, where do you want me to use my talents to invest in people and opportunities for the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. Do You notice what they get first of all? The reward is praise from the master. Praise from the master. Praise from the master. Here's the importance of that. Because so often we are living for the praise of others. And when I'm living for the praise of you, or I'm living for the praise of other people, and you're doing the same thing, here's what that does. That puts a burden on my back that I can never stand under. Because you know why? I'm never satisfied if you're living for me. And you're never satisfied if I'm living for the praise of you. And if I'm living for the praise of other people, it's an appetite that cannot be quenched. And so some of us are not using the talents that God has given us or have gotten stuck in our tracks and are tempted to dig and hide because our motivation to use our talents is really not for our audience of one, Jesus, but it's for the other people in our lives and their approval And it's a nasty cycle. And it's one that I struggle with every day. And I believe it's one you struggle with as well. But what I see in this passage of Scripture, in this amazing passage of Scripture that so many of us know so well, is these two servants recognize I have one master. I have one audience it's my master, my Lord, my God, and I am living for his first class compliment in my life. I am living for those words that this master says in this passage of Scripture. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Like you can almost feel the enthusiasm of the two servants, can you not? Can you, you almost can feel it. Like man, our masters come back and, and so we're gonna take what we have and look master, look what I've done. You gave me five and I, and I by God's grace multiplied them and now, now I have 10 or you have 10 and, and the person who has two is, remember he's not getting caught up in comparison. Lord, here's my purpose is you gave me two and I, and I made and I invested those things and you have two more. Like you can almost feel their enthusiasm, can you not? And I love. You can read it, like I had to read it like a few times, that the praise for the person who had five and multiplied five more, and the person that had two and multiplied two more, it's the exact same compliment from the master. Like, don't take my word for it, look at it. Exact same compliment. Why? Because the master is concerned about purpose, not comparison. Because the servants understood it's about purpose and... Who gave it to me and how I use it rather than how much. The first reward of these servants that they received from their master was praise. That's what I'm living for. I'm not living for your praise. You're not living for my praise. I'm not living for my wife's praise. I'm not living for my coworker's praise. I'm not living for my employee's praise. I am living for the praise of my audience of one, and his name is Jesus. He's the master. Look at what else the reward is there's also more responsibility. Like, that's what the master does with these two servants. After Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servants, look at what he says. He says this in verses 21 and 23, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. In other words, you've shown me that I can entrust you with more. See, when we're, what did I say? comparison kills purpose when I'm so concerned about, Lord, why didn't you give me more? Why didn't you give me more influence? Why didn't you give me more of a platform? Why didn't you give me more of this? I stopped being grateful and looking at God, what have you given me? Because when I concentrate on today of God, what have you entrusted to me? And to be faithful with that. And understand, I'm not living for anyone else's approval. I'm living for my master's approval. I'm gonna be faithful and have a sincere and surrendered heart with what the Lord has entrusted to me. You know what's another reward of the master? He says, okay, I'm gonna give you more opportunities. I mean, would you do that? Wouldn't you do that? You ever see that commercial? It's that amazing commercial. I can't even remember what it's for. But it's talking about the guys going to, I think it's a dentist. And the dentist is like, and they have a dentist, and they have a tattoo artist, and they have different types of things. And it's basically like the person's okay at what they do. You know what commercial I'm referring to? And it's like, you shouldn't be okay with okay. Like, I don't want to go to a doctor who's just okay. Okay. I don't want to go to a doctor who's like, oh, you know, I've seen someone else do it. I remember my mom used to cut our hair, all six boys, and I remember one time she was cutting our hair. I was like, mom, when did you learn to cut hair? And she was like, well, I saw like you guys at the barber and I, th- I saw what they did, so I figured I could do it. Like we joke around. There's years of our lives that we're like the lost boys. <laughs> Nobody wants to be okay with okay. The point is, in this reward of more responsibility for the master, focus on what God wants you to do today with what he's given you today. And here's the third reward. It's joy from the master. It's joy. Notice it doesn't say in verse 21 and 23, doesn't say here, enter into the joys of heaven. It says, enter in the joys of your master. See, we've said this before when we were in Philippians, joy is something that is supernatural. It's sourced in the Lord. And there's tremendous joy when God gives you glimpses to see how your investment is advancing his kingdom. Not pride, joy. Here's a third principle and we'll be done. Jesus is a generous master to work for rather than be rebellious towards. Maybe you're here today and you've been viewing your master wrongly, you've been viewing Jesus wrongly. But what these two servants understand is their master was a generous master, not a taskmaster, generous master. See, these faithful servants served well because they loved their master. They wanted to please their master They saw the generosity of their master to them. But notice in verses 24 and 25 that where we see this wicked servant go off track and the reason why he failed to serve is because he actually hated and resented his master. Look at what he says. Master, you're hard. You're taking what's not even yours. Wait a minute, who was the giver? It says he entrusted to them his property. He says, "I was afraid of losing what I thought should be mine." So he like, you can almost picture. He just takes it and he just says, "Here, it's yours, take it." And I think rebellion is rooted in two things. First of all, it's rooted in an improper view of who the Lord is. That's where rebellion is rooted, an improper view of who. Jesus is it's not hard he's not one to be feared in a wrong way feared yes in a worshipful way Lord I understand who you are and who I'm not but not in this vengeful way that God's going to send some down some lightning bolt down and wipe you out if you fail it's rooted in an improper view of who the Lord is but here's something else it's rooted in it's rooted in an unrepentant heart Because here in this passage of Scripture, this servant never says, Master, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I got so caught up in that I was just given one that I dug it and I hit it. Would you forgive me? I see that I've said, no, no, no. What did this servant do? He blame shifted. Lord, it's not my fault. It's your fault. And the punishment of this servant is also threefold. See, he didn't get any praise. He didn't get any more work or responsibility. The master actually took what was entrusted to him and gave it to the person with five who multiplied it into ten. And he did not receive any joy. See, in verse 30, this does not end well for the third servant. And so you read this and you're like, wait a minute, can I lose my salvation? No, here's the point. When I do nothing with my Faith, keyword nothing. It is evidence that I never put my faith and trust in my master as my Lord and Savior in the first place. See, because James 2:17 says, A faith without works is dead. I'm not saved by my works, but works are evidence of my faith. See, this morning what I want to understand is you may be here today and you're like, Man, I've been sitting on the sidelines for a long time and I've been living in the purpose to look for ways to invest in people and opportunities. Because I've been comparing my talents with someone else. I'm not saying that you're not saved this morning. What I'm saying is is someone who never has needs to check their faith.